Welcome to the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to educating and empowering men to address erectile dysfunction, improve confidence, and enhance the satisfaction in their relationships. This podcast is brought to you by ErectionIQ.com. Learn more at ErectionIQ.com. Welcome to the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. I am Mark Goldberg, Certified Sex Therapist. I am deeply passionate about working with men like you to help resolve their ED. We are here again on the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. Today we are joined by Olivia Paulson. Olivia Paulson is a third-year medical student who is involved in research about post-orgasmic illness disorder, the topic of today's episode. Olivia is also an advocate for a more open dialogue about human sexuality among medical providers and their patients, and we are really happy to have her join us today. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm excited to be here. So, Olivia, can you let our listeners know a little bit more about what what exactly is post-orgasmic illness syndrome, and how common is this? Yeah, for sure. So, post-orgasmic illness syndrome is a debilitating condition mostly experienced by men that is characterized by feeling ill after orgasm. A lot of people get flu-like or allergy-like symptoms, but Dr. Waldinger split it into seven different symptom clusters that people can experience. So that includes things like your general cluster, which is fatigue or extreme exhaustion, your head cluster, which are things like headaches, You have your ear, nose, throat. Those are more of your allergy type symptoms. And then you have a flu-like cluster and a muscle cluster. So people can experience muscle pain, aches, and weakness. And it's considered to be a rare condition. We don't have specific numbers or epidemiological evidence about the prevalence and incidence because it's not a widely recognized disorder. But our team just created an international registry. And from that data, we can say that it is likely a rare condition. Okay, so an international registry, does that mean that uh, providers are reporting on that case? Does that mean it gets indexed based on electronic medical records? Or is this that patients are self-reporting into the database? We had patients self-report, and then we also had providers from outside of the United States input patient information. Okay, and you're saying from from your experience or from from the data that's being collected, it seems like this is a more rare category, but it sounds like not rare enough that um, there are seven categories or seven mm-hmm. clusters, it sounds like, of yep. symptoms that are experienced. Are these different categories of patients or do some of the patients who have the post-orgasmic illness, do they have multiple categories? You can have multiple categories. Some just have one, but it varies on the individual. Okay. How, how does this impact uh, the lives of people who have this illness, both before and after sexual activity? Great question. So I think this affects people pre and post-sexually, mostly from a psychosocial aspect. Imagine if every time you had an orgasm, you felt like hot garbage afterward. You'd probably never want to have sex again. And that's how a lot of these people feel. And that can have an internal impact and an effect on your relationships. Yeah, I would imagine that people would, over time, just avoid sexual activity. uh, Yeah, absolutely. The the consequences and the outcomes um, sounds like could be pretty miserable. To that end, I would assume that the symptom clusters also have degrees of severity for different patients. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. And they can last anywhere from two to seven days typically, but some people are outliers in that 
situation. Wow. So so the symptoms could last up to seven days in some instances post-orgasm. Exactly. And there's actually some people who can have those symptoms for 10 days. Wow. Yeah. So given that there are these different clusters and they really range between muscle, flu, ENT, head, etc., what are thought to be like some of the potential causes of this post-orgasmic illness? Yeah. So there's a lot of theories as to what's causing POIS. The most popular and well-supported one currently is the allergy etiology. So Dr. Waldinger, who's the pioneer of POIS research, he's a neurosexologist. He found that some men may have an autoimmune reaction to their own semen. And it's not uncommon in other sexual disorders or disorders that affect sexual function for there to be an immunologic component. So things like vulvodynia and interstitial cystitis has shown that there are mast cells and other immune mediators in vulvar and bladder tissue. So it's definitely a good theory at this point, most well supported in the paucity of research that we currently have. But I have talked to a lot of patient advocates. And when I've asked them this question, they all have different theories as to what's causing it, which I also think is reasonable because everybody's symptoms are so different. And we just don't have enough research currently to say for sure that everybody has this allergy component to it. So there's a lot of room for exploration. And I think it's really important for clinicians to approach it from a multifactorial perspective since we don't have enough data yet. Okay, if I'm hearing you correctly, you're saying that there could be like multiple etiologies. So there are different yeah. theories that could explain large portions of the patient population, but it is it is possible that there are different explanations for different patients. And there are a multitude of theories out there, but what I'm gathering is also the prevailing theory is that of allergy. You also mentioned though that it could be like an autoimmune reaction to semen. Does that is that the same as allergy or would there be like a different set of allergic reactions or or different causes for an allergic reaction outside of semen? So, from my understanding, it's only from the semen. It's more of like a hypersensitivity reaction to your semen. It the research from Waldinger shows that there may be some cytokines that each male reacts to differently. And that seminal fluid is actually coming from prostatic tissue is what most of Waldinger's research has shown. So we think it's more of a hypersensitivity slash autoimmune reaction, varying theories. That is very interesting. How does this present in a medical office and how exactly would this be diagnosed? Yeah. So one interesting thing about this condition is that I've noticed from talking to patients and from our registry that a lot of people do their own research before they go and see a medical provider because it's considered a weird condition, a taboo condition, and they don't feel like they can really talk to anybody about it in a lot of scenarios. So they go to the internet, figure out what's going on with them. And so a lot of people, once they get to the doctor, have a kind of textbook definition of what you would expect somebody with POIS to have. So for example, one of the patient advocates I've talked to, they presented with fevers after orgasm, which fits that flu-like cluster. But obviously not everybody does that. Not everybody goes to Google, but from the registry we did, it looks like most people do a quick Google search before they even head into the office. And with those diagnostic criteria that you're talking about, how do we diagnose this? 
Dr. Waldinger also created a diagnostic criteria, which is pretty loose at this point. Again, because it's not a widely recognized condition, it has some, there's some fluctuation in how people diagnose it based on the provider. But overall, they have to meet one, at least one of the seven symptom clusters. There has to be consistency. So they have to experience these symptoms pretty much with every orgasm. And it has to last around two to seven days. It also has to be resolved, it has to be able to resolve spontaneously, and it has to be excluded from other organic causes like prostatitis, other infection, that kind of thing. And I think it's really important from a clinician perspective to differentiate post-orgasmic illness from post-orgasmic pain because those aren't the same thing. And sometimes in a patient history, it can be difficult to distinguish those things. So making sure that we're asking those clarifying questions is really important when trying to diagnose this. Okay. So from the allergy model standpoint is, you know, I've been to an allergist myself and Mm -hmm. they did like a 10 point test on my skin. Mm-hmm. Would this be the kind of thing, like, would we expect, like, a skin reaction? Would there be a way to test if somebody is reacting to the semen? Like, is it a contact issue? Or is there somewhere else in the ejaculatory system um, mm-hmm. that seems to be the point of reactivity for this allergic reaction? So actually, in the research done by Dr. Waldinger, they did that kind of allergy scratch test that you're talking about on the skin. So they took the person's own semen and did that kind of scratch test and it was positive for some of those men. That's where they got that theory actually. So that's a really good point. In other words, it, 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 they were able to identify a reaction on the body. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is the sensitivity specific to that man's semen or would that man be would react to any semen? In other words, like, is there is there something about like the bodily fluid that's generated by that person's body that sets this off? Or is there a general sensitivity to a element or a part of the semen that would be common, like in any human? It's a really good question. I think that, I mean, I, there's no research to say for sure. But if we look at it from an autoimmune perspective, I would assume that they would only have that reaction to their semen. Because if we look at other autoimmune conditions, I don't suspect that if you took somebody without an autoimmune condition and gave them healthy, non-autoimmune blood, that they would have a reaction specifically to that. It's your body attacking itself. Okay, that, that makes sense. I know you mentioned earlier that this seems to be much more common in men. I will like come to learn a little bit more about how this may manifest in women. Uh, mm-hmm. But for you know, women who have male partners and are not using protection, I was like, curious about like, do we see like a like similar subpopulation that seems to be in particular semen driven that they react to semen, but if it is autoimmune, in that sense, we would probably find that uh, female partners should not be experiencing reaction to semen of a partner. Correct. And so even in the females that do have it, it's suspected that it's still from their own seminal fluid because women still have a prostate tissue. Okay. And as you're saying, saying again, it's autoimmune from that perspective as well, that it's the self-generated, mm-hmm. um, right. the self-generated fluids um, that would cause that autoimmune reaction. Right. 
Okay, in in the research that you've done, and maybe in your like experience in clinical interviews, um, can you give our listeners a sense of how a condition like this impacts a relationship? Yeah. So from our registry, we found that it does negatively impact quite a few relationships, but there are definitely people who find that it slightly affects their relationship or doesn't affect their relationship at all. And whether that's because they're having less sex in general and are content with that or their partner is just more supportive is unclear at this point. Okay. So you're saying it's, it definitely spans. It's not like a one size fits all. Some relationships seem to be okay with this with this condition going on and other relationships understandably are negatively impacted by this. Yes. Is there a difference between uh, general symptom profiles for men and women with this condition or does it seem to kind of run in the same seven categories um, irrespective of gender? Yeah, so there is a paucity of data about females with POIS. So it's hard to say yes or no for sure that there's a difference in symptomology between the two genders. But from our registry, we found that females tend to experience more fatigue and mood disturbance symptoms compared to men relatively. But we had a very small portion of females respond to the survey. So it's a hard generalization to make at this point. And there's a lot more data and I guess a lot more cases that have been reported for men than for women. Yes. Yep. Okay. Was there anything in the data or in the databases that that seemed to point to like a correlation between POIS and higher rates of sexual dysfunction like erectile dysfunction? So in our registry, at least, we found that most men actually had adequate erectile function. And outside of our study, I haven't seen anything correlating the two. But I think that there could definitely be an indirect cause that POIS has on erectile function, especially psychogenic ED. If you're anticipating that you're going to feel like garbage afterward, or you're trying to please your partner by finally having sex after months and months because you've been avoiding this, then those kind of things I think could definitely add to erectile dysfunction. Yeah, I would imagine there could be, again, it's like a psychogenic um, component, especially if the symptoms are distressing and uncomfortable. Um, yeah. Even thinking about where sexual activity might lead um, could be rather distressing. Um, yeah, absolutely. Now, kind of going with this uh, allergy model for a moment, um, mm-hmm. can you tell us a little bit about treatment? Um, I don't know much about autoimmune, but allergies, I understand that there's a lot of medications, both over-the-counter and prescription available. Would those be effective or are there other drugs um, that might be used off label that have uh, shown to either reduce the symptoms or uh, maybe even prevent the autoimmune reaction? Yeah, so there are treatments. So if you feel like you have POIS, please reach out to a medical provider. You don't have to suffer in silence. But unfortunately, there isn't one treatment that's really effective for everybody at this point. So it's a lot of trial and error. A lot of people try things like allergy medications, which supports that allergy theory. Other people try pain relievers like ibuprofen, Tylenol, and there's even been some case reports of people using alpha antagonists like psilocin and neuropathic medications like gabapentin. And in our registry, we found people use a lot of homeopathic remedies. So things like garlic and ashwagandha were really common. But again, it varies so greatly. Not one thing tends to work for everybody. And we need a lot more research to show 
exactly what's most effective because a lot of these treatments are only moderate to mildly effective. None of them have shown to really cure POIS. So in the future, we hope to find realistically at least a group of treatments that'll help relieve most symptoms for most people. I Obviously, the optimism in me would love to say that we find one magic pill, but I don't think that's going to be the case with how multifactorial it appears to be. Yeah. Well, I mean, to my knowledge, and correct me if I'm wrong, in the general allergy space, for, for many allergies, we manage symptoms um, mm-hmm. much more than we have a cure or a way of really like eliminating a person's allergic reaction to something. Um, so I right. know that it can be like significantly mitigated, but the idea of totally eliminating a bodily response seems right now a bit out of reach in general. I would assume it would be the same thing for post-orgasmic illness syndrome if it is of an allergic nature. Yeah, absolutely. And I, obviously there's some cases where, you know, they take one Claritin and they're like, oh, all my symptoms are gone. And that's amazing. But you also have people who do things like testosterone supplementation, which I forgot to mention. There's a bajillion ways people try to treat this, but some people find testosterone really helps them out and they can get regular testosterone injections and they don't experience their symptoms at all. And some people will take psilocin and their experiences completely disappear but the majority of people do not experience that cure or that magical response mm-hmm. i guess you could say it's a lot of mild to moderate response okay and it sounds like again there's there's a lot more to be explored in this space mm-hmm. um that you know we're relying on medications that exist for other uses and applying them based on theory. So there's a lot to learn about what might be effective and why that's still unknown. Yes, absolutely. Okay. If somebody feels like they're experiencing these symptoms, is this something that a uh, primary care physician or a urologist would generally be aware of? Or like, does a patient have to show up with the, like, with the knowledge already that this could be what's happening for them? and educate their providers? Yeah, that's a great question. I think in general, urologists are probably more familiar with it than primary care providers, but there are a lot of urologists who aren't familiar with it as well because it's not widely recognized. So I think for any patients out there listening to this, I think it's really important that you advocate for yourself, print out some stuff about it, read up on it so that you can talk to your provider about it because a lot of people who treat this are sexual medicine specialists and not everywhere has a sexual medicine specialist. So I think it's really important to educate yourself and be able to advocate for yourself. Okay. Olivia, this has actually been like really wonderful, really educational um, for myself. We actually had a uh, podcast very early on um, Mm -hmm. where a patient joined the podcast along with like a number of different medical providers. And this issue actually was one of the things that came up and was floated. Um, oh. I think the conclusion was, and I think it was they, they maybe prescribed Benadryl or something in addition to um, some other medications. I think in the end, the conclusion was that it was inconclusive as to whether like they were comfortable with this diagnosis, but the patient was having these reactions. So I know that it's rare, but I do know that it does come up uh, from time to time. And for me, this has been extremely educational and hopefully our, li- our listeners will be able to learn about this condition. Um, and maybe what we find over time is that this is more common where people are um, getting sick maybe for a couple hours afterwards. And perhaps there's like a wider population of people who do feel 
certain things where the cost benefit you know, doesn't say not to have sex necessarily, mm -hmm. um, but they could experience um, relief from symptoms that they do feel post orgasm. Um, so yeah. thank you very much for joining us. This has been very informative. And um, on behalf of ED Radio, ED Radio, I want to wish you best of luck in your journey forward. And I know that you're not quite at the urology track. I'm not sure when you match, but my working assumption is that you're headed in that direction. Is that correct? Or trying to head in that direction? Yes, that is correct. So I'll be applying next year. Okay. So we want to wish you best of luck with that. We always like to have good people in the ranks. So um, hopefully you. your journey goes well from here on out. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed talking about this. Excellent. Thank you for being with us. Thanks for listening to the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. For more information on today's topic and understanding how the mind impacts erectile dysfunction, please visit ErectionIQ.com. That's ErectionIQ.com.